So I guess I should say Merry Christmas, but I've been conflicted. How long do we say Merry Christmas? Because actually it should be Happy Boxing Day for our British roots, or for our Canadian roots, if you have a problem with the British Empire. Have you ever thought about Boxing Day? It's actually a phenomenal idea in which the people that have things give them to the people that don't have things. Uh, But I digress. Who is your favorite Bill? Or what is your favorite Bill? If I said, who is your favorite Bill, who would you say? Okay, yeah, I, I would concur. Bill Murray, certainly in the top five Bills. What about Bill Shatner? Bill Shakespeare? I'm shocked that no one said Bill Clinton. Actually, I'm not. That's a lie. Forgive me. It's funny, as we, as we look at names and we say, why does Will, William, become a Bill? Can you imagine if Will Smith went by Bill Smith, I don't think he probably would have become the Fresh Prince, and he probably would not have become the star that he is today. Why is it that we take Will and make it Bill? Well, in the Middle Ages, there was this trend of letter swapping, giving a consonant that is hard. It makes it easier to pronounce. So then William became Bill. I always think this is funny. A friend of mine, his, his name is Carl. But no one calls him Carl. They call him Charlie. Like, where do you, how do you get Carl from Charlie? It's a whole family name thing, and it's hilarious, and it's great. A lot of people don't realize that my son's name is not actually Wyatt. His name is William. And so we get all jammed up, and we have his teachers that are like, your name is William, so you will write William on your paper. And it's like, no. no. Nobody calls him William, unless we're, of course, trying to take shots at him. Maybe your favorite Bill is School of Rock Bill on Capitol Hill. I'm not going to sing for you. We, have, we don't have a Bill today, but we have a Will. And if you remember last time we were talking in Hebrews, we were talking about Bills, which we were talking about laws. So here we are back in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Christmas is done. We are done with Christmas. No more Advent, no more peace, no more joy. None of that. Back to Hebrews. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have, not ta- you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasures in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In order to move ahead, we need to move back. And it's amazing as we think about this passage uh, on the, the, this side of Christmas, and we talk about the incarnation, and we have Jesus quoting from Psalm 40 about this idea of a body. And so in some ways, Christmas is continuing in this passage as we talk about the incarnation. In Rachel Held Evans' new book, yes, she is uh, no longer with us, but her This is her latest book that has been put forth by a friend of hers. She says this about the incarnation about Christmas. She says, It is nearly impossible to believe God shrinking down to the size of a zygote implanted in the soft lining of a woman's womb. 
God growing fingers and toes, God kicking and hiccuping in utero, God entering into this world covered in blood, perhaps into the steady waiting arms of a midwife, God crying out in hunger, God totally relaxed, eyes closed, his chubby little arms reaching out over his head in a state of complete trust, God resting in his mother's lap, God needed women for survival. Before Jesus fed us with the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, Jesus himself needed to be fed by a woman. He needed a woman to say, this is my body given for you. Do you ever think about that? I know we celebrate Christmas and we have little baby Jesus in the manger, but do we ever think about the embodiment of God into a human being? And yes, Jesus is borrowing from David's words from Psalm 40, and and he's talking about what it means for for himself to be embodied. But first he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And again, what do we do with this? What do we do with the reality that the sacrificial system from the very outset, was not meant to do what we thought it was meant to do or the Israelites thought it was meant to do. That God wasn't concerned with the practices of the sacrificing of animals as much as he was concerned about the sacrificing of individual desires and motives and being obedient to what he has called them to do as his followers. but a body you have prepared for me. And it's fascinating because Jesus can misquote Scripture, and we're okay with it. (laughs) Because this is not a direct quote from Psalm 40, but I would caution us to make the liberties around misinterpreting or misquoting Scripture as Jesus does. He says, I have come to do your will, O God. How do we understand God's will. It becomes a very Christianese type phrase that we love to just kind of throw out. But what do we mean when we talk about God's will? I think sometimes we use it as a buffer so that we don't have to actually do something. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure if this is God's will for my life right now, so I'm not going to do it. Well, That really wasn't God's will for my life, so I chose to do something else. And we make it far more complex than it is. Because God's will for our lives is very simple. Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is God's will for our lives, that we would love him and that we would love our neighbors. The challenge is far too often the loving the neighbor part and how loving God is loving our neighbor. And how when we think of what is God's will for my life today, if I say it's to love my neighbor, that gets a little bit tighter. That gets a little more restrictive than this like ambiguous, trying to figure out, well, what exactly is God's will for my life? Since I don't really know what it is, 
I'll probably just stay here in this state of comfortability. Rather than acknowledging that God's will for our lives is to be in relationship with him and then to love others as a love act to God. Amanda did this great three-part series with the youth in November and then into December about what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love ourselves? What does it mean to love other people? What is the will of God for my life? It's a fascinating question that is so easily answered. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Ethics talks about the question is not what is right or what is wrong, but what is the will of God for my life today? So when we come to decisions, it's not, well, is this right or is this wrong? It's what is the will of God for my life? And Jesus is acknowledging that he has come to do God's will through his suffering and through his death. And we get this interesting language around this covenant. And it causes us to ask ourselves, why is it that we make decisions in a covenant relationship? Why do I do the things for my wife because of the covenant relationship that we are in? Or why, why do I do the things for my kids? Like, well, your kids, that's not really a covenant relationship. Okay, I understand there's some challenges there. But do I do these things out of duty or do these things out of desire? When I wake up in the morning and I grind coffee and I make coffee, and I make Nikki a cup of coffee, is that because I have to? Is that out of duty that when we vowed to one another at Tuthill Park 20-some-odd years ago, almost 21, I vow to, to bring you coffee every morning? No, because she didn't even drink coffee at the time. I know. I've since brought her around. And by that I mean when you have children, the need for caffeine tends to increase. But, but it becomes this question of why do I do the things that I do? Because Jesus is saying it's not about sacrifices. It's not about you know, these burnt offerings and sin offerings. It is about doing the will of God in our lives. So why do I do the things that I do? Did anyone bring a gift to their spouse or to a loved one yesterday or as you celebrated Christmas and said, I brought you this present because I had to. Merry Christmas. You sign the card that you send to, to your, your family members that you don't see. You're like, Merry Christmas. I had to send you a present because you're my brother. It's what I'm supposed to do. I haven't sent mine to my brother yet, but maybe I'll include that. But so often our, when we think about our religion or our practices, it's about duty. It's about what are we supposed to do. But when our faith becomes about practicing religiosity, it becomes anemic and fragile. When our faith is only characterized by performative attendance at ceremonies and celebrations, it is unable to withstand the bombardments of life. When our faith is painted by virtue signaling and announcing the grandiose things that we're doing for God, we become the Pharisee at the temple praying and saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector over there. 
Because so often when we think about living our faith, we think about what we have to do. Well, I have to do this. I have to come to church this morning because it's Sunday. Clearly, a lot of people didn't make that decision. (laughs) They didn't have to. They're all sitting at home in their brand new matching pajamas, eating leftover caramel rolls and drinking coffee. And we love them for that. And technology is a wonderful thing. So why is it that we do the things that we do in our commitment to Christ? Because the writer of Hebrews continues and he says, When he said above, Jesus, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And it's fascinating because you're like, you just said that. Why did you say it again? Because we must have needed to hear it twice. But whose will is being lived out, and what does it look like to live out the will of God in our lives? Jesus said, I have come to do your will, because clearly you don't care, God, you don't care about the sacrifices and the performance and the procedure and, and the, all of these things that go with being religious. It's not about those things. It's not about checking the boxes in order to be in right relationship with God. Doing God's will is not checking boxes of requirement. It's about living in the freedom of a relationship. Marc-Andre Leclerc was born in October of 1992 in British Columbia. And very early on, his parents realized that this kid was a very special and gifted climber. And so he started climbing and going out into the wilderness and developed a passion for solo climbing. And there's this phenomenal new movie called The Alpinist that's out now. You can watch it on Netflix. And it's about uh, Marc-Andre's life. (laughs) And if you've watched Free Solo, Marc-Andre makes Alec Honnold blush. Because he goes out and he does these insane climbing routes of mixed climbing, free climbing by himself. So he climbs on rock, then he pulls out his ice axes, then he climbs up ice, then he switches over and he's climbing with his crampons on ice and rock and you're just like, what is going on? Why have we not heard of this person? Why have we not you know, seen him blow up all over social media? Because Mark Andre goes out to climb, not because it's what he has to do, it's because what he wants to do. And he says, I feel the most alive when I'm out in the wilderness on a face by myself. And this film crew tries to track him down, and then he he goes rogue, and he goes missing, and they're like, we're supposed to be filming you. We want to make you a star. And he's like, it's not about being a star. It's about living my life. 
It's about doing what we are created to do, which is to love God and to love others. We don't do these things as a way of earning our salvation. We do these things because we have experienced salvation. And it's fascinating because we can move from legalism right into legalism. We can move from this list of don'ts, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this, into a list of do's. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the list of things that you must do. And it's the same thing. Well, I have to do this, and then I have to do this, and I have to volunteer so much, and I have to give so much, and I have to do all these things. And the problem is, that is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. To do the will of God in our lives is to experience freedom in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and then to live that out. So often we can feel weighed down by the spiritual exercises that we've been told that we have to do. Well, if you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're not here on December 26th at church and you're not doing this and you're not volunteering at least you know, three times a month. And, and No. It's not about the doing. And the writer of Hebrews and Jesus' own words are clear indications of that. It's not about performative, ritualistic faith. Far too often we let others should on us well, you should do this. Well, you should come to Wednesday nights, and you should do this, and you should do that, and, and you should, and you should, and you should. And then we exchange the legalism of don'ts to the legalism of do's, and we're in the same trap. And we say, this whole faith in Jesus Christ thing is just a big, giant burden. And I know we walk this razor's edge And much like many great actors, we ask ourselves, what is my motivation? What's my motivation in this moment? I love to play pinball. I wouldn't say I'm a pinball wizard. But one of the great things about buying a pinball machine is that you can unlock it. So then you don't have to put in more quarters. And with a coin shortage, that's a problem. My dad had bought this pinball machine and he had it in his basement. I would just go down there and, and I'd come home for Christmas Where's Eric? Is he sleeping? No, he's playing pinball. Why? Because I have to break the record. (laughs) Nothing more enjoyable than a son showing his father that I'm better than you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But the beauty of the pinball machine is you can play freely. You can take risks and you can try things because... You have literally zero dollars invested. You don't have to put one more quarter in. Your, your quarter that you have, the quarters that you have stacked up, did you ever do that? When you, you go to play pinball and you line up your quarters so you know, like, oh, I'm losing my bank here. You just play for free. Oh, try this. Try that. Do this. Oh, this is fun. That's what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot do anything else 
that allows us to be in better relationship with God. Jesus says, I came, I embodied a human being, I became present, incarnate, I died, and I rose again so that you would be free. So that when you say, what is the will of God? It's to love God and it's to love others. And I can try all sorts of things in that. And I know, some of us are like, okay, so you're telling me I don't have to come to church? Like, I don't have to volunteer? Like, I don't have to go to that small group or come on Wednesday nights or read my Bible or, or do any of those things? That's what Eric said. Not exactly. Because we want to do those things. We desire to do those things. We desire because we have this freedom in Jesus Christ to live and be and experience what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we don't have to do anything else. It's not going to get us, we're not going to be more saved if we volunteer every Sunday. My grandma, she, uh, I have her old Bible, and my aunt put together these things, and, and she's got in there these different things, like perfect attendance. <laughs> perfect attendance. God does not desire sacrifices and offerings and procedures and performance. He offers us to embody this reality that we do the will of God in our lives. Not out of duty, not out of earning anything, out of freedom, because check this out. And by that will, meaning the will of God and Jesus living out that will, verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. When Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. We are free to live. So we come and we gather as a community of faith because we want to, because we want to engage, because that is the will of God for our lives is to be participating in the life of his community, of his bride, of his church. We do the things that we do. We volunteer and we contribute, not out of duty, but out of desire. We come and we read scripture and we, and we spend time in meditation and prayer in the spiritual disciplines, not because we're earning more jewels in our crown in heaven. That's not even a thing. <laughs> That's not even a thing. We do it because we have been freed to live. We have been freed to live in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ where we love to participate in the things that he is doing. And the things that Jesus Christ does is he goes out and he loves the world where they're at and he seeks the people in the margins and he cares for them and he watches over them and he connects with them where they are at, because that is the will of God. He loves his church by offering himself, and he calls those who want to be in a relationship with him to do the same thing. Not out of some religious performance, not out of 
earning our salvation because it cannot be done. Jesus enters into this world through Mary's womb into an embodied state so that we can be in a relationship with the God of the universe, so that we can be sanctified, so that we can be freed from the do's and don'ts that were the law. So that we can be in a relationship where we say, God, what is your will for my life today? And then we hear his answer, love me, and love the people that you intersect with. The real challenge is, then we go intersect with some of those people. This person? Yep, that person. Maybe exactly that person. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today joining together as the bride, joining together as your church. We come together because we have been freed through the embodiment of your son, through his death and resurrection. We don't have to do anything other than accept the free gift of salvation that comes through you. And out of that, we are free we are free to live, free to participate out of a desire to grow in our relationship with you. Father, may we echo the words of Jesus that our lives would be about doing your will every day all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.